0: Alrighty, that is our signal to get it happening. So uh, welcome to it. Yeah, Disability Law Show here on a, uh, what's going to be a lovely Saturday afternoon. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Good to have you along. Love having you here. The phone lines, look at that. They're already open for your phone calls. And that number would be 416 872 1010. The text number is simply 71010. 10. That is a couple of different ways you can correspond with uh, Tamar and myself over the course of the next hour. As we discuss the uh, wonderful world of disability law, dealing with that ensure. That can often be the pain, but there is answers. There is a cure for it. Make that phone call. Talk to us today. You can email as well. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. Also, another form for you to use. It's free. It's anonymous. And we get a ton of questions through mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll uh, refer to both those during the show. Over the course of this hour, but again, that phone line is wide open. Bring it on, 416-872-1010, 416-872-1010. Tamar Gopian, the uh, resident lawyer on site, the one with all the answers, courtesy of Sam Fierro, Tamarkin LLP. You can reach out to Tamar uh, anytime as well. I'll give you that contact information throughout the hour, but we always start off, tomorrow with uh, with the week that was. That's how we get it warmed up, friend. What do you got going on? Well,
1: warm is the theme of the week, John. Yeah, I gotta say. It. This weather has been fantastic. Yeah, I mean... But, you know, it doesn't deter insurance companies from making poor decisions. And so <laughs> that's the theme of the day. Uh look, I've been working on something this week that I thought, you know, we can highlight at the top of the show. I'm representing a client who came to us. He has a fairly complex uh, disability claim. It has uh, a borderline personality disorder with chronic depression, uh, an adjustment disorder, a whole host of mental health conditions that really are long-standing for him. Uh, Substance use, uh, it's everything and anything that you can think of, unfortunately. And you know he's a father, and you know got two kids, wife, everything, and he was really, really struggling with his health. And he'd been working at the same job, technician type position, for over a decade. Uh, and it just got to the point where you know he just couldn't continue. It was just his health was just primary, and he had a customer facing job. So of course, his doctor said, "Look, you need some time away." Fast forward, and he's been off work now for almost about four years. And what's interesting about his situation was that the insurance company actually approved him past the two-year mark. And that's why I wanted to talk about his situation in particular. I mean, obviously, I'm involved, which means they eventually stopped paying the benefit. Uh, But more to the point, uh, what was uh, very surprising was that they had him assessed by one of their own doctors. They had his psychotherapist also provide updates. They funded some of that treatment and both of these specialists one was a psychiatrist the other the psychotherapist consistently said his condition was longstanding very complex that word was actually used more than once and even with treatment he may never get to a point where he's functional enough to get back to work and Surprisingly, the insurance company continued paying. They paid past the two year mark. They accepted that he was totally disabled from any occupation. And I think, you know, on a hope and a prayer, they were hoping with certain specific treatment to address his specific health issues that eventually he would get better. But the therapist kept telling the insurance company, look, he's making progress. But This is all relative, and he's not making enough progress where I would feel comfortable recommending that he gets back into any work setting but they weren't gonna be deterred. You know, a new Jester comes on, they're super aggressive, John. They say, well, there's a baseline here and he should be able to do something else. They do one of those silly transferable skills analyses that we talk yeah. about. So, you know, they look at his education and his background and his, you know, uh, his health history, and they just make a bald assumption that so long as he's not dealing with clients, eh, he should be fine, he could keep being in treatment and just work a fairly routine job. And now for the any occupation phase, the earnings are also a lot lower, right? So now they're two thirds of what he was making. So they figure, okay, you know what? He could work mostly for full time, maybe like a 30 hour a week type job and he'll make the commensurate wage. He should be fine as long as he's not dealing with people. But John, every job you're dealing with people, even if you don't have a client facing you. For sure right? You've got coworkers. you've got, you know, you're going to interact with, with the world. I mean, that it's inevitable. I can't even think of a single job, you know, even if you're a telemarketer, you're dealing with people, even if you're, own, you're in your own home and doing calls. So look, the decision was riddled with problems. But I think what made it really worse, a far worse, was that they cut him off surprisingly so. So they really hadn't given him much warning. He was still under treatment. His understanding was that you know, he was going to continue being in treatment. And not only did they cut off his benefits, but they also cut off the funding of this very expensive psychotherapy that he was under. So now he's he's got no financial underpinnings. He had a very clear setback in the progress he was making with therapy. He couldn't afford to keep the regularity of that therapy. And now he's got his family that he needs to take care of as well. Mm. And I ended up speaking with him and his wife uh, at some point last year. And his wife was like, "Tomorrow we've, you know, just unsurmountable debt. We don't know what to do, this kind of thing. And I said, your situation is incredibly compelling. The insurance company has a lot of problems. There's absolutely no way they're going to get in front of a judge and say what they did was right. And I think this is really a very good claim in which to start a legal claim. And, you know, I actually... (laughs) They didn't actually go through the appeal process, John. Thankfully, this was one client who hadn't actually gone through that frustration because they saw what I saw, which was nothing was going to persuade them. They weren't going to change their mind, even if they had gone down the road of submitting yet another report from the same psychotherapist that the insurance company just flat out ignored. So I think what's the takeaway here is that we're on the cusp of a resolution. That's the key thing. We're right now within weeks of resolving this claim within months of my being retained and being involved. And I can tell you that I'm getting very little resistance from the insurance company to have a sit down with us and have a reasonable discussion about a settlement for the client. And of course he's thrilled, but he realizes that, you know, his capacity for further work is very, very limited if if non-existent. And because this treatment has been derailed, that, that future period is very uncertain. And so, one of the things that we can do meaningfully when we get involved is actually have a discussion with the insurance company about what that future looks like. I mean, John, he's been CPP approved. I I could go on and on about yeah. all of the bases that he should continue getting LTD. And this is one where we might want to consider. You know, is it better that he gets on claim and starts getting his monthly benefit, or we talk, or do we talk to the insurance company about a buyout of the policy? Either way, it's going to resolve in a way. That is going to be absolutely the thing that they should have done for him months ago before my involvement, which is to support him financially while we wait and see as to what's happening from a health perspective.
0: Is there any pitfalls that we've, you know, I mean, this situation sounds different, but there are is there generally pitfalls with asking for a lump sum settlement with an insurance company. Doesn't that kind of raise some suspicion? Maybe, you know, put, a, put an unwanted spotlight on your head if you end up doing that or is, or is this a different situation?
1: Well, look, it's an interesting question you ask because it is a topic that I cover with a lot of clients who retain me out of the gates and they say, look, Tamar, can you just go to the insurance company and get me a buyout? Maybe you don't need to be involved. What if I go and do that? Right. Um, you know, I'm sure they don't want to pay me for the next 20 years or 15 years or whatever it's going to be. And I say to them, look, in the context of a legal claim, you have leverage and you've got a lawyer who's facilitating this discussion with someone dedicated at the insurance company who understands these risks, not only just financial, but reputational and other things and will be more incentivized. To come to the table with a lump sum settlement than it would be if you're on claim and you approach this with your adjuster directly. Neither the adjuster nor you have the protections that can be afforded by a legal claim. This is why it makes so much sense to have a disability lawyer involved with broaching this kind of thing with the insurance company because the adjusters are going to say, well, hang on, why is it that you want a lump sum settlement now? Is it because you're going to get back to work after we prepay you for a period of time? Like it, it, it raises a red flag unnecessarily when the focus really, while you're on claim, should be continuing to get the benefits, continuing on your treatment path, and making sure that you know you're satisfying those adjusters mm-hmm. who are box checkers around issuing that monthly benefit because it is a month to month benefit, and I think that. If people hear from us that, look, maybe there's a buyout that I can do, and I can do that with the help of a lawyer, I think you're doing more harm than good, frankly, to the full adjudication of your claim, if you were to try and broach that directly with the insurance company. But like I said, you know, if it gets to a point where they're making a poor decision, and that poor decision has consequences, not only for having to pay your benefit, but also potentially more damages, right? Like extra contractual, something outside of just paying your benefit. When they've behaved badly, they weren't transparent, they didn't do the right analysis, you know, they didn't treat you properly, that is potentially bad faith. And certainly, at least for my client that I I was speaking about right off the top, they aggravated his condition. And the courts have said, look, that, that warrants tens of thousands of dollars. But most people don't know that. And it's not something that they can negotiate while they're still on claim and having to deal with the adjuster. So there are, I think, some benefits in going down that path and getting the right representation, the right lawyer to advocate so that you are checking off all the boxes of entitlement that you must get or should get And what that translates to is dollars. That's all it is.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it can be convoluted and sound and sound confusing, but that's the reason why we always tell people, you know, after the show, during otherwise, just reach out and get at least get the information, have that chat. I've got to take a, a short break here, get into some emails. And again, mydisabilityquestions.com is another place you can ask your questions. Email address, help at disabilityrights.ca. But of course, we're taking the phone calls and texts here live this afternoon at the station, 416-872-1010 to call in if you prefer to text. If it's easier for you, that would be seven ten ten. And that's how we roll. Lots more on the way. Just getting warmed up here on the disability loss. show. stand by. We're coming right back. And welcome back to it. You betcha. It is uh, time to, to keep going. 120 on a Saturday afternoon. 416-872-1010 for any phone calls here live to the station. That's how we taught to you. You want to text? You can go to seven ten ten as well. That's the uh, the other option for the show. And uh, beyond that, you can talk to tomorrow at any time. Always make that phone call and email help at disabilityrights.ca and 1-855-821-5900. Okay. Uh, I did mention during the first segment that dot That is simply another place for you to anonymously ask questions to Tamar and her team. In fact, the whole uh, the whole firm has access to that website. It's free and anonymous. Uh, from it, tomorrow, let's get to our first one. It says, guys, right. love the show. i uh, been, uh, or at least I am, forty seven years old. I've been on LTD since two thousand nineteen. I also received CPP disability as of twenty twenty one. I will most likely be an unable to work for the rest of my life. I bought a condo eight years ago. I'm finding it difficult to pay my mortgage and bills on my disability income, and I'm considering moving in with my parents and renting my condo out to help with the mortgage payments. I don't want to lose my condo, but I also can't afford to pay it that much longer. Do you know if there's any implications to my CPP disability and or insurance company benefit payments if I rent my place out? Is that considered income if I'm just doing it to stay afloat? What do you think, pal?
1: Really, really good question. And so this is very common lately too, right, John, because we've got increasing food costs, inflation, you know, what are people going to do when they're on sort of a fixed salary, so to speak, or a fixed income, like individuals who are on disability. And most disability policies don't really have indexation, right? So it's not like the LTD benefit increases month over month or year over year to match the cost of living. Now, CPP disability does, but it's somewhat modest, right? It's some limited calculation, usually a percent or two. Regardless, you know, because he's been on disability now for a while, that since 2021, he's probably only getting a portion of LTD because the disability right. policies that I've seen, most of them say, hey, if you get CPP disability, we get a credit for that against the LTD benefit. So, more to the point, you know, can you receive uh, rental income, for example? That's his question. And whether or not that has an impact for CPP disability or LTD. CPP disability, I really don't know the ins and outs of the income portion of it per se. What I know is that there's a limit in terms of what you can achieve in terms of income. In a given year, I think it's like six dollars or $7,000 without compromising your ongoing CPP disability entitlement. Okay. What I don't know, the part that I don't know is whether or not rental income would be considered the income to meet that threshold, but I suspect not. And here's why, because if I look to see what the disability policies say, Most of them say it's earnings as a result of any form of employment. And rental income is not employment, John. I mean, it's passive income. You're not actually working in order to receive that income. You're trying to offset costs. And so in this question, I actually do want to see what the specific policy says. But if it's similar to most of the ones that I've seen, my view view of it firmly is that if it's for the sole purpose of trying to offset expenses, and you're not actively doing any type of work to achieve that kind of compensation or income, then I don't see the LTD benefit insurer getting any sort of credit for that sort of approach. The other thing that came to mind from this question was whether or not this individual has mortgage protection insurance, actually. It is similar to disability insurance in the sense that you are entitled to a monthly benefit that essentially offsets your mortgage. So lots of people sign lots of forms when they put on a mortgage, including yeah. for a condo. And sometimes you're not really sure about the paperwork and you may have actually inadvertently or perhaps advertently signed up for mortgage protection insurance. And so typically those types of policies also have an element for disability. Some of them have waivers, some of them have actual income amounts that you can receive. So look, if you're in this situation and you're not sure, you want to understand what your rights are. So I'm glad actually that questions like this are being asked at mydisabilityquestions.com because look, I get it. People could be sheepish. Maybe they don't want to talk to a lawyer. Sure. Although our consults are absolutely free. Maybe they don't want to call into the radio show. That's okay too. Um, But if you're listening and you're thinking, gosh, I got to make ends meet. I need to move in with my family. What do I do with my other expenses? I think if the policy doesn't have any specific requirement that says that any sort of compensation that you receive is a credit, I think he or she should be absolutely fine in renting out that condo and trying to survive. Plus, you know, they're probably getting support from their family by moving in anyway. And if there's no likelihood to work at all, especially at age 47, you sort of want to have a long-term plan. I totally get that. I think that if there are any lingering questions, it's absolutely okay to ask the adjuster. Like In a situation like this, when it's a foregone conclusion and you're probably going to get ongoing benefits, if you're not sure, maybe okay to ask the adjuster in a circumstance like this.
0: And again, reaching out afterwards, uh, if you want to talk to tomorrow and her team, that's that's no problem at all. 1-855-821-5900. Let's, uh, let's bounce over to an email, pal. This one, uh, again, help at disabilityrights.ca. Bruce says, guys, love the show. Listen every week. Uh, although I was terminated from my job recently, but I'm still working during the eight-week notice period. My termination agreement includes STD and LTD during the notice period. Can I file an STD claim with proper documentation from my physician? What do you think?
1: Yes, Bruce, a hundred percent. Yes. So this is a good question. I'm going to kind of recapture it, John, and saying just because you've been terminated from your employment, doesn't mean that automatically disentitles you to disability benefits. And we say this occasionally on the show, but it is important for our listeners to know, look, this is why we do disability and employment law. These are the two areas of expertise that are firm for a reason because you see this kind of overlap and people have these assumptions that look, oh gosh, okay, I've been terminated now and now it must mean that I can't make a disability claim. So what Bruce is describing to us is actually his benefits coverage is specifically continuing through the period of time in which he's going to be compensated for his termination. He likely is getting his minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. And that, you know, if he's a long service, he'll get the maximum, which is that eight week period and law in Ontario says that your benefits can continue or must continue during that time frame, And that will include extended health and most likely disability benefits. So if Bruce has developed a health condition, perhaps he had it even before his termination, and that has persisted, but he had shied away or had not quite gotten together to get the forms completed in time, then he absolutely should do that on the proper documentation right. So he says with the support of his doctor. I think, though, what's even more important is what the doctor documents on when the disability began. So this is the other thing. What if Bruce is on like the second last day, John, of this eight-week window and he still hasn't initiated the short-term or the long-term claim? Well, but if the health issues have been persisting for the past eight weeks or more, then you're still not out of time, actually. Getting kind of technical here, but if your disability arose at a time where you were covered and eligible for benefits, then you absolutely are entitled to disability benefits. And you should put in that claim form, put in all the documentation so that you're preserving your right to it. Then if the insurance company is trying to be cheeky about the fact that, oh, well you were terminated or you didn't have coverage or this or that, then. Absolutely, this warrants having a further consultation with one of us because insurance companies often get it wrong on technicalities, John. We know we talk about this in the context of other types of denials like pre-existing conditions or, you know, your documentation was late and you didn't provide us enough documents and this sort of thing. Well, coverage is also one of these things because insurance companies, if they can say, oh, no, we, we didn't have to cover you at that time, so we don't even have to consider your disability, you know they're going to be all over it. And this is why we're here, so that people like Bruce are not out of the benefits that they're entitled to if their doctors are saying that regardless of their termination, they would not have been able to continue working as a result of their health. That's the test of total disability, at least out of the gates.
0: A lot of confusion sometimes, but again, especially when it comes to workplace, being on disability while you're still working, then getting terminated. People worry that their benefits will get cut off with of their job, so on and so forth. If you have these questions, always reach out after the show if we don't cover it on a particular afternoon for sure. one 821 5900 to reach tomorrow anytime. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address Bruce used, and you can use that anytime as well, and of course my disabilityquestions.com free, anonymous, searchable, kind of cool. We're going back to that one after we We take a short break, but you still got lots of time and lots of minutes here on the show to call us if you want to live, 416-872-1010, the number. Got the text screen up as well. That would be 71010 to save you some time. And we will continue with more of the Disability Law Show right after this. You betcha. Welcome back, 135 on a beautiful Saturday. Get out there and enjoy it, but not yet. Another half hour, you're allowed to do that when we're done here. Uh, In the meantime, reaching out and talking to us, we'd love to have you on here, 416-872-1010. Dealing with a disability insurer. That's what we talk about every week. 71010 by text and email is help at disabilityrights.ca. Want to get to a text here? Tomorrow says, Hey guys, I've been on LTD since December 2022. My insurance provider regularly requests medical information from my doctors. At this point, they have more than 500 pages of medical information. The case manager also contacts me by telephone every other month or so for an update. I find these calls very upsetting as my situation is complex and my progress is slow. I wish they would call my doctors for an update rather than grilling me with questions. Any advice for dealing with these calls? Can I request that they contact my doctors instead? Awesome text.
1: Really, really good text. And so the long and short of it is maybe. (laughs) So I'm going to give you a lawyer's response, sort of a maybe. Yeah, it depends. (laughs) The, the difficulty with long-term disability is that it is a month-to-month, month-to-month benefit. I think I mentioned this in our prior segment. And so the adjusters who are assigned to these claims have to justify releasing that benefit to a claimant every single month. Now, sometimes they might agree to have it extended for a two or three month window, but their job is to continue to adjudicate and they have strict requirements about having to do so. And so When they're tasked with this, regardless of the fact that they may have hundreds of pages of medical and very clear information that benefits are going to continue for a fairly prolonged period of time, they will still do what they are meant to do or trained to do, which is to be box checkers. So they will have regular phone calls. They will have regular updates, medical updates that they will seek, sometimes from the claimant directly, sometimes from the doctor directly. And that's, this is why is because they have these very limited rigors to try and adjudicate these claims. And, and don't forget, they also have managers and supervisors and people breathing down their net saying, Hey, when are you going to bring this claim to a close? When are you going to bring this claim to a close? Right. That is their primary focus. So. Yeah, it's a strategy, it's a tactic that they're going to harass you about this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm using that word a little bit loosely, John, but it is very regular contact, especially if you're still in the own occupation phase of the policy, which I think this individual is. They got approved in December of 2022. They've been on this now for five, six months now, and there's going to be active adjudication because the adjuster is looking for an opportunity to say, yeah, we're going to close this file in three months. Okay. so. What do you do in a situation like that from a practical perspective? I think that if your interactions with your adjuster are harming your health and are actually having a negative impact on your progress in health, it is absolutely fair to have your doctor report on that and validate that and include a couple of paragraphs directed to the adjuster to say, hey, the regularity of these phone calls is too frequent. I'm happy to address any questions you might have happy to intervene on behalf of my uh, patient as my patient is focusing on their health. You might get a little bit of pushback from the adjuster, but if it's a medically supported limitation, then that goes a lot further. It's much easier to then get the adjuster to sort of back off. Similarly, if the doctor has already communicated, hey, we are regularly assessing this claimant You know we're going to reassess in three months, or we don't expect that the disability will will improve in the next six months, then that may also deter the adjuster and say, okay, I need an update again. I need another update. I need another update. But why I said maybe from the start, John, is because there is a mutual duty to cooperate with these efforts with the insurance company to adjudicate your claim. Mm -hmm. The law is very clear on this. It's not just one way. And I know on the show, we talk a lot about the big bad insurance companies in areas where they're going to be exposed to damages. And I think we should. I think in fairness to our listeners, it's important that they know that these insurance companies just can't get away with everything. Actually, not at all. They are very much bound by strict um, you know, rules and regulations and things around the law about how they're supposed to conduct these kinds of claims and do the analysis and so on. But there's a bit of flow from the other way as well, where if you stop communicating with your adjuster, if you stop being compliant with their requests for updates, it's too easy for the adjuster to say you're not being compliant. Right, And in fact, they embed that into the policy, John. They, they put it into the policy that says, if we think you must, right? And so it can be a little bit of an imbalance of power. Uh, Frankly, a lot of the times it's a very big imbalance of power because most people have never dealt with a disability insurer before. And they're trying to figure out, okay, look, i got to focus on my health. Can't be there every five minutes for the adjuster to send me an email or call me and ask me how I'm doing. Totally fair. But in order to resist that, you need the backing of your doctor, and it needs to make sense with what it is that your health conditions are. In other words, if there is no reasonable expectation for you to return in a short period of time, it's absolutely okay for that to be documented to the adjuster and sort of resist the regularity of contact. It's also okay that you provide consent and authorization for your doctor to speak directly to the adjuster. You know, sometimes that can cut both ways as well. I've seen some adjusters just being really um, vigorous in the kinds of admissions that they want the, adjuster, the doctor to make. And so you have no control as a claimant as to what your doctor potentially reports to the adjuster. Yeah, good call. And so, you know, I'd rather see what the report says um, or something documented than giving the doctor or the adjuster unfettered access to communicate to each other without your involvement.
0: Let me ask you this. So does the situation change? In fact, I'm sure it does change once it gets to the point, for instance, this person that we're talking about, if it gets to the point where they get cut off, if it gets to the point where they bring you on, start a claim with you, that's a different story as far as contacted from uh, the insurance adjuster going forward, yeah?
1: Entirely. That is a core thing that I say to claimants and individuals who contact us is that it will absolutely be my problem. Those phone calls will stop The emails will stop, the letters will stop. They will have to deal with me going forward from the moment I get retained to the moment I send them the the letter saying, hey, I'm suing you, by the way, don't contact my client again. Um, And you know, if you've got a problem, call me and uh, we can work this out, but by the way, I'm suing you. So, uh, you know, I'm being a little bit cheeky about it, John, but I think it is a very important part of our services because individuals are exhausted with not only their health conditions and having to deal with the doctors and treatment and trying to figure out, okay, where am I at? Where do I go with this? But also these adjudication efforts, they can be a lot to manage, you know, most times when people submit an application, the very next thing that happens after they submit their application is that they have to have a call with an adjuster that's assigned. They don't know this person from Adam. They've never met them. They're not usually going to meet them. All they're going to get is a robotic type individual on the other end. I've seen asking them a series of questions about how they're doing. How are they doing at work? How are they doing with their health? Why is it that they're off work? When do they expect to get back to work? Like it can be very invasive and part of that process. And so, You know, it wears people down and this is why it's so wonderful to have these resources and all the resources that we tell people, free resources, mydisabilityquestions.com, these radio shows, we have television shows as well. Lots of places where people can get some free information so that they can figure out, hey, Maybe this doesn't sound right. You know, maybe I was denied my claim on an improper basis. I was being compliant. They said I wasn't. You know, I, I did attend treatment when they said I didn't. You know, these kinds of excuses will keep coming up because the goal of the insurance company is to close out that claim so they can maximize their dollars. They're still getting premium, right? So as long as they're getting premium and they're paying out less than they're bringing in, then that works with their profit model. And if it means being, you know, vigorous in their adjudication efforts, they're absolutely going to do that. But when we get involved, it takes it out of the hands of that adjuster. It's not going to be that adjuster anymore. It's going to be one of the insurance company's lawyers, people we deal with all the time. And it's going to be someone dedicated at the insurance company who makes decisions around whether or not these claims are payable. And we'll consider all of the different factors that we talk about on our shows, the issues with adjudication, you know, if there are errors made, um, you know, all of those things that we can leverage to get an appropriate and quick resolution for our clients, and they don't have to deal with the insurance company day in and day out, as this individual appears to be doing, unfortunately, while they're still dealing with their health.
0: It's a beautiful thing. Reach out, as we always say, stop those phone calls if you're uh, dealing with a claim, for sure. In the meantime, here's the number to reach out to tomorrow when the show is done. Enter team, 1 821 5900. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. We're going to go there when we come back. And another uh, another question from my disabilityquestions.com too. And you still got some time for a phone call into the station. Talk to us, 416 872 1010. And that text board as well. We keep flipping through that. That would be seven ten ten to send us text right now as well. We'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You betcha. We are back. It is 150. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in, hanging on, and contacting us, be it phone or email or text. We love talking to you and solving some problems, giving you some answers. I want to get right to uh, to Dale. Dale, thank you so much for taking the time to grab a phone and stand by. How are you? Not too bad. Good. What's on your What's uh, What's on your, uh, what's on your your plate, bill I don't know if this is a disability question or uh, unemployment or whatever question, but... Mm-hmm. After I've been on disability for two years, after the two years, does my work have to pay me any severance pay or anything like that? Or
1: it's a really good. Yeah, really good question, Dale. So it's sort of disability, but sort of employment. So, yeah. um, and we do a little bit of both. So I, I thought it was an important call to take because one doesn't necessarily follow the other. So just because okay. you've been on disability for two years doesn't mean your employer is necessarily going to terminate you or that you're necessarily entitled to severance. Now. Are you unionized by any chance? No. Okay, so that makes the analysis a little bit easier for those who are unionized might be thinking maybe that's me. Just make sure that you realize for unionized individuals, you got to go to your collective agreement to see what your rights are in terms of termination. But if you're not unionized, and I'm assuming you're probably employed in Ontario and working for an employer who's not subject to the Employment Standards Act, One of the things that employees have as a protection is if your disability continues to prevent you from going back to your job, it could be that it raises a situation that's called frustration of contract. This is super technical, Dave, but what Dale, rather. And what it comes down to is if your health continues to prevent you from going back to your job, at some point, your employer or you may be able to trigger this frustration concept. And the Employment Standards Act actually entitles you to some minimum compensation. The thing is, though, it's only minimum, right? It's not a full severance package of, say, you've had years and years of service from your employer necessarily. Having yeah. said that, I've also seen some employers that will put a package together, even if you're not capable of returning back. But I wouldn't bank on it, and it's not necessarily an automatic entitlement. Does that help? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Super. Thanks for Thanks, the
0: call. Thanks, Dale. Yeah, appreciate it, Dale. You want to reach out further, have a uh, further conversation with tomorrow Again, the uh, the firm, as she mentioned, does both sides of that when it comes to employment and disability because there's so much crossover between the two. And the way you, uh, you access that sucker is one Fifty nine hundred. Let's get to this one. Uh, Mike texts in and says, "Hey guys, great show. Back in July, on my way to work, was struck by a truck crossing light. I went under the truck. Thank God, I broke nothing, but ended up with a one point two centimeter cyst in my head. I applied for my LTD, was denied. Uh, the thing, I never got a psych evaluation, and the doctor never cleared me to go back to work. I also suffered major pain and headaches, major migraines, PTSD. The truck ran over my foot. Uh, the, yeah, the truck ran over my foot, and I had planters. Uh, something I can't uh, walk." long long story short i get 400 dollars every 2 weeks i can't live off that what are my options and my rights i have a lawyer for the accident thanks uh, knowledge is power says mike you bet mike yeah, that's why we do the show brother so what do you think uh, tomorrow what's uh, what's he looking at
1: awesome well look, i'm glad he has a lawyer for the accident side of things but he does have an entitlement to ltd john i mean there's absolutely mm-hmm. no question in my mind from what he's described that he's entitled to it so i'm actually curious to see that denial letter and what basis the ltd insurer could possibly have given given all of his health issues for denying that benefit and what he's referencing, John, is the $400 a week that he's probably getting through his accident benefits. So we talk about a couple of things on the show. Accident benefits is different than long-term disability. It's usually benefits that you get from your own auto insurer if you've been involved in an auto accident. And there are limits in Ontario, but what you can get by way of income, so to speak, to compensate you while you're dealing with your health issues and not capable of working. And that limit is $400 a week. The thing is though, there is still the avenue of long-term disability for him. And I would continue to persist in getting some advice around that and whether or not that's a basis to challenge. But as we say with some interactions accident benefits and long-term disability do have interactions like CPP would. So you do want to be mindful of the fact that your long-term disability policy may contemplate, may anticipate the fact that if you're getting benefits from somewhere else as a result of an auto accident or an auto injury, that the LTD insurer is going to take a credit for that as well. So could there be more compensation under LTD for Mike? Maybe. Uh, but we would need to look at the policy and we would need to understand what is it that the long-term disability insurer said to deny his claim. Because he described a bunch of sp- physical symptoms and then a bunch of subjectively based symptoms. Right, John? These uh, This idea of PTSD and yep. pain and so on, Mm -hmm. and absolutely natural, makes sense that you'd be involved in a serious accident like Mike has, and then have not only physical issues, but also things that you can't necessarily see on a scan. And it doesn't surprise me in the least that the disability insurer has resisted this claim, probably on that basis, saying maybe there's insufficient medical, maybe we can't substantiate that you've got these health issues that are lingering. And this is because insurance adjusters who are looking at these claims have zero training on medical things. And if they can't see it on a scan, their fallback position is just to assume that it's not real or it's not severe or it's not significant and it's not, quote unquote, totally disabling. And the courts have said that's just not good enough. If you've got sufficient symptoms, when you put all this stuff together that's going on with Mike and those symptoms prevent him from doing his job, then you are entitled to long-term disability benefits. So this is when I think that maybe we'll uh, I'll reach out after the show and perhaps set up yeah. a call with him to further discuss his options.
0: Mike, appreciate it, pal. And the number for you, by the way, to uh, to contact tomorrow and team is 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. I really appreciate it, pal. You're reaching out today on uh, a day where you could be outside Rollerblading. So thanks for joining the show for sure. (laughs) I want to get to another question tomorrow from mydisabilityquestions.com. I think we still got enough. Time to uh, to roll into one of these. It says, I had major surgery and my doctor advised to take two more months off to heal. My long-term disability said because I'm not fully disabled, I don't qualify anymore, and said they were ending my claim. I know I'm unable to go to work at full capacity. Does disability have to offer a back to gradual return-to-work program or can they just cut me off? What do you think?
1: Mm. So that's a good question. I would say they do have an obligation to at least coordinate the gradual return, especially mm-hmm. when your are Doctor saying you're not cleared to return back, and so it's disappointing that the insurance company has done this. But not surprising, John. Not surprising because you know doctors are not you know they can't see the future. They don't have ESP. They can't say you know okay, we'll give you a couple months, but maybe that couple months extends further, and that just simply doesn't align with what insurance companies want to do, which is to close your claim as soon as they can. So. Sometimes there are provisions in disability policies that acknowledge that. They actually address the fact that there should be some rehabilitative component, that the return to work programs or compensation for that period of time is warranted. And so what I'm saying there is that the insurance company may actually need to continue paying this individual while they wait and see whether or not they're successful in actually returning back to work. And not only on a partial basis, but eventually full time. And so some adjusters will actually allow for that and they will uh, coordinate with someone's doctor to say, okay, this is the plan we're putting in place. You know, are you okay with it? Is this gonna be successful and so on and so forth. But when they don't, it it does expose the disability insurer to have to pay a whole whack that they should have paid And what if this person doesn't get back to work in two months, John? Then what? Then the individual is absolutely owed more disability benefits on a 100% basis. It's now no longer a partial capacity and a top-up payment and all sorts of uh, partial uh, compensation that we talk about occasionally on the show through the rehab plans. And so I think that this all goes back to the doctor's recommendation and then making sure that you're putting the feet to the fire to the insurance company to pay you what you're owed.
0: And that is it for another show. Thank you so much for your calls, your emails, your texts, and so on. You want to reach out to tomorrow? now that we're done. Simple. I told you before, one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca and mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll catch you next week right here on the Disability Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.